Welcome to a podcast from Food and Drink Federation Scotland. FDF Scotland is the membership body for Scotland's food and drink manufacturers. We represent and support our members on the issues that are important to them. My name is Kirsty Ritchie and I am the Communications Executive for FDF Scotland. FDF Scotland is celebrating our first anniversary of podcasting. As part of this, today I'm joined by some of my team members to discuss the last year in food and drink and what lies ahead. We have our CEO, David Thompson, our Head of Policy, Kat Hay, our Skills Manager, Moira Stalker, and our Reformulation for Health Manager, Joanne Burns. Firstly, David, would you be able to tell the listeners a bit about some of the challenges that food and drink businesses have been facing over the last year? I know there's a lot there. <laughs> uh, so thanks for that, Kirsty. Um, it's great to be here celebrating one year of the FDF Scotland podcast. And what a year that has been. We've had to deal with COVID, and Brexit. So we've had to deal with that as FDF Scotland, uh, but obviously the industry and the nation has had to deal with that as well. I'll start with um, COVID. That's the biggest challenge I think we've seen in in my time here uh, at the FDF over five years. Uh, We started in March last year with a significant um, issue. The disease was there, COVID was there, but we had no idea, number one, what was safe, what was the right thing to do, what government guidance would be, what businesses needed to do. Uh, And so we spent a huge amount of effort last year really getting into the the weeds of, uh, you know, how businesses should react, um, uh, you know, whether food and drink was a key sector of the Scottish economy. Uh, We fought very hard to make sure that it was, whether food and drink businesses could continue to produce. We fought very hard to make sure that, that that was the case in the first part of the COVID epidemic. Now, that was really a difficult time for both businesses and ourselves, and we, uh, you know, spent long, long days every day um, talking to government, talking to businesses, and really uh, making sure that businesses got the best advice they could from us. Um, over the course of the year, obviously, that's continued, and we've had other battles to fight, whether that's uh, testing and making sure testing was available to the industry, uh, to continuing to have dialogue as uh, guidance changed on what safe practices were. Uh, and of course, all of the uh, shutdowns and opening and ups that we've had uh, over the course of the past year. It's been really difficult for businesses. It's really been really difficult, in particular, for those who uh, sell into the hospitality and food service space, because obviously that market has been very, very much diminished. Uh, um, uh, and those who sold into retail have had to change and pivot what they were doing to match changing customer demand. So all of that has been really tricky for businesses. Um, and, uh, you know, we've seen years worth of digital uh, change uh, in terms of direct engagement with customers, selling direct to customers, um, a whole lot of that kind of stuff over the, over the past year. I'm hopeful now we're coming towards the end of that, but we've probably still got a few bumps in the road to go. Uh, so it's been a really, really challenging time on COVID. Um, and of course, if we hadn't had COVID, we would have still have Brexit. So Brexit, which finally happened uh, in terms of the uh, change in the rules on the 31st of December last year, uh, was something that's been uh, uh, you know, a key area of my focus and a key area, key area of the FTF's focus for the past five years. Um, and yet we still had um, a, a situation where we only uh, got a deal on Christmas Eve and we only got the text of that deal on Boxing Day. Uh, and in fact, we had team members, uh, um, you know, looking through what the deal meant on Boxing Day to make sure that we had the best advice available to members. 
Um, and it's been really difficult for businesses, um, especially small businesses who to export to Europe. The huge amounts of additional paperwork, costs and delay uh, um, have been crippling, uh, in particular those who can only go on composite loads, where they have to go with other products, where um, it's become almost impossible to export in that status. So uh, Brexit is something, yes, that's happened. But the journey of EU exit and new trade deals is one that's only just started, uh, both for the FDF and for and for businesses. So um, there's great opportunity there, but it remains a huge challenge, especially uh, in the day-to-day -day operation for businesses. So an enormous amount of challenge over the past uh, year. Um, hopefully the podcast has illuminated some of that um, and, uh, uh, and given us a different way to talk to our, our members and anyone else who's interested in the work of the organisation. Thank you, David. Um, I'm sure you could have went on for hours, but um, we'll <laughs> kind of leave it at that. I often do, Kirsty. I often do. <laughs> um, despite the challenges, I guess we've seen a lot of our, our businesses have been resilient. They've had a chance to reflect on what they're doing, what's important, uh, ways to improve things and what they want to really focus on in the future. Um, so Kat and Moira, I know that you've spent an awful lot of time talking to members about these kind of things. Um, are you able to um, highlight some examples of, of, of what you think members have been telling you, what's what's important? Thanks, Kirsty. Maybe I'll kick off. I mean, just to kind of finish off some of the points in, in David's, um, what's been going on in David's world, it's been a funny old time for me in, in the policy sphere, because in some respects, there's been a huge policy vacuum. And um, we've also added to the COVID and Brexit in Scotland, of course, we've just had our Scottish elections, which the pundits keep saying are the most important Scottish elections since the inception or the, the reconvening of the parliament in 1999. Um, so looking forward to the future, the policy landscape is going to become very complex. The issues we're dealing with and that our members are going to have to deal with are going to become increasingly complex. As David says, we've seen a seismic shift in expectation in ambition in the need for recovery and reset over the last 12 months. Um, and I think the, what's, what's heartening is the businesses have continued to show resilience in a time that it would have been perfectly acceptable for people just to throw up their hands and say, we can't carry on, it's all too difficult. And, and that hasn't happened. And um, we supported our members in a number of ways. Um, certainly Moira and I have sat through many weekly calls with members in a very informal way um, as a support group, really, for, for operations directors, for technical directors, for CEOs, who on a personal level were really worried and concerned about life and death decisions that could affect their, their workforce and their staff. Um, I mean, Moira, what kind of springs to mind for you when we talk about the COVID support group that we had for the members? What are some of the key things that we talked about with the members that really stick in your mind over the last 12 months? I think from my point of view, Kat, I really enjoyed getting closer to the members. I know that's a, a sort of a, a positive that's coming from a negative, but I think yeah. in, the whole COVID situation has, has made us closer to our members because we took that active decision at the beginning to to really engage with members, to keep in touch with them, to speak to them, to find out what was bothering them, um, how we could help them, and also to gather really rich information about what was happening on, on a day-to-day -day basis, really. Um, what came across loud and clear from the word go when we started speaking to members was that their workforce was a priority and the safety of their workforce was the absolute priority, and that has continued and it con continues um, to this day that that is our overarching priority. And I think we've learned a lot more about what businesses are doing to um, protect the workforce, to make sure that they're safe, 
to make sure that the product gets out as well. Um, but I think as well, one of the other key things that's come out of the last 15 months or so is the progress that so many businesses have made in terms of adopting new technologies, but maybe not even new technologies, but exploring technologies that already exist and using them more effectively and efficiently to streamline their processes. So maybe using something like Google Documents to streamline a process, to speed up communications, to make sure that people are, um, that records are, are maintained um, and safety is ensured. So it, it's using what already exists. So people have been um, put in a position where they've used technology far more efficiently. And it's that has been very rapid as well. I think possibly somebody said about 10 years in the space of 15 months of progress because they've had to. Um, I've also learned a lot of things about um, about some members um, and their methods of working and also where they work. There's, we've seen the inside of, of men's sheds and all sorts of things. You went for the kind of the high tech, the, the technological solutions that some of our members came up with. What really struck me from the um, the member calls we did and from, from engaging that group we just mentioned was around um, the smell test that one of our members implemented in the early days to um, to try and track down any um, asymptomatic COVID cases that were coming on their site. So very simple. Just get some essential oils, dip it in cotton wool, and ask people to to smell that when they came on site. If they couldn't smell, they didn't get past the door. Um, so it's all these kind of little clever things that people have done over and above the guidance. Um, the government guidance has been some of it's been really helpful, some of it not quite so much. But it's the the, the step up that our industry is taking to the point that I think David, you were having conversations with the government who were really keen to hear and to learn from our manufacturing members as to what um, future guidance for, for these kind of outbreaks might look like and the, the measures they've implemented. Is that right? That's right, yeah. And, and you know, we've worked very closely with Food Standards Scotland in particular over the over the course of the past year uh, in order to make sure that they get, um, you know, review of their guidance uh, and we, we help them develop that. And, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that some of the lessons learned and some of the actual international experience that our members have to give, uh, you know, with with plants in other parts of the, the the world where they've had to deal with this at different times and in different ways, is something that I'm really hopeful the Scottish government will um, uh, seek to learn from in the future. I think one of the other things that's come across, and I don't know what you think about it as well, is from our Friday calls with members, their willingness to share what they've learned and to to help other businesses as well learn from what they've done as well. So 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 mistakes aren't being repeated, or if the learnings that they've had. They've shared them with us as well. They've shared links. They've shared the resources they've developed. They've shared materials, you know, very willingly. And if I, I could just come in there as well, the, the other thing that struck me from the conversations I've been having with our members is the uh, is that actual doubling down on the on on their teams, um, not just making sure they're supported, but you know, as as the uh, as conditions have developed, making sure that they get opportunities to learn. Uh, to develop in the role, to take on new responsibilities, to be proactive, um, and that's been very clear, I think, in in, in talking to businesses that that, that flexibility um, and support we've had from staff is something that they've really recognised, and, and it's actually uh, given them a new focus, uh, I, I think, on 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 teams in the business, which I think is very welcome. Yeah, and that's such a good point, David, because I think one of the policy areas I've been given a lot of thought to is. Um, the Scottish Government's commitment to the Fair Work Agenda, 
Um, and I think certainly during COVID that our certainly members we've spoken to have shown time and time again just how much they do value their staff and how much they want to continue to nurture, develop and grow those, those staff and invest in them for the future. Um, I suppose that kind of links into the work you're doing around skills, Moira, and skills for the future. We've seen huge changes in the way people are working and the roles they're taking on and the tasks. Absolutely. Um, I think I was, was going to come in anyway, even if you hadn't brought, draw, drawn me in there, Kat. Um, this, what, the, what we've also learned from our members is that a lot of heroes kind of emerged as well, and a lot of people that maybe had a, you know, never pushed themselves forward in the past. When COVID hit and, you know, they had to step up, natural leaders emerged, and perhaps from areas that, you know, the, the, the management of the, that particular site didn't didn't wouldn't have thought was going to be a natural leader. They've come in, they've gone, right, actually, this is what we would do. I think new skills, I think there's been a, a, an identification of the, the kind of skills that are required in the workforce. So, so multi-skilling, I think, is certainly something for the future, because obviously with split shifts and reducing the number of people in particular shifts, there's going to be a need for multi-skilling. There's also definitely been an upskilling of the workforce as well, and that's definitely a trend that's going to continue. Um, the adoption of, of new technologies or introducing new technologies and exploring how these can be taken further is going to mean that um, people are going to have to upskill themselves, take on more technical roles, understand technology, but that frees up. Um, so, so maybe having more autom automation, um, maybe cobots on the lines and things like that as well, is actually going to free up individuals to upskill themselves and take on more technical roles as well. So it's a good thing for the industry that is becoming more skilled. But yeah, definitely a need for, for, for new skills in the industry and opportunities to develop and learn and make the industry more efficient, I think, as well. And this all helps to, to support um, a greener workforce, greener jobs, but also for your work as well, because you're upskilling and creating higher value jobs as well. I think the other thing that struck me is that although many um, sectors saw their operations close down during COVID, especially during the initial stages, we kept going. And in fact, one of the things that surprised me a lot was the work that my colleague Joanne's been doing around reformulation and just how much that has continued, even though there's been so much to do on COVID and keeping staff safe. Businesses are still looking at ways to innovate and to support consumers to make healthier choices as well. So I'm going to bring Joanne in here as well, just to talk a little bit about what you've been up to over the last year. Thanks, Kat. Yeah, certainly um, you've already covered many of the challenges that we've faced over the last year. And if I'm perfectly honest, when lockdown and everything started, I was really concerned about how we would continue to engage and continue the momentum of the Reformulation for Health programme. But I think what we all saw was the importance of dietary health and reducing levels of obesity. Um, across the country actually was more important than ever as people saw the um, kind of implications of poor dietary health um, along with COVID. So we we probably had to slightly alter how we normally engage with businesses. Obviously, we couldn't go out to sites. We weren't able to attend events. So we had to kind of go back to the drawing board and create some new initiatives to help drive engagement to the programme. So we, we launched our um, reformulation challenge fund um, at the turn of the year, um, in December 2020 into January 2021. And it really helped to showcase just how important um, reformulation is to many businesses. We were massively oversubscribed and are delighted to be supporting almost 20 businesses um, to reformulate products at the moment. Um, and from such a broad 
um, variety of businesses from really well-loved Scottish brands to high street butchers and bakers who all see um, the importance of improving the health of their products at the moment. And I don't see that being a trend that's going to stop. If anything, I think the last year has really showcased how important um, the health of products can be moving forward. You know, you've, you've talked about the challenges and you've talked about the the, the, the opportunity. I, I, um, you've worked a lot with individual businesses over the course of the, the last year, and, and obviously some of that is secret and you can't talk, talk about yeah. it. But I, I was just wondering, what's the what's the most um, uh, interesting, uh, uh, you know, bit of work you've done with with a business or a bit of work you've done on reformulation? Oh, the most interesting. Now that's oh, that's a good question, and um, you'll need to pay me later if I'm going to tell you who who all we're working with. But um, yeah, the the variety, I think. David, like you're saying, has been so interesting. Um, I'll pick a couple, but just to give you a kind of a kind of highlight of the kind of businesses we're working with, um, we've been working with um, some well-known crisp suppliers. They're looking at reducing fats, maybe haggis suppliers are reducing, looking at reducing um, fats and salts, and even down to ice cream suppliers. I mean, it's been so interesting, really, um, kind of researching and learning about kind of freezing points of different sugars and different alternatives to try and drive down um, fat and sugar in some ice cream products. Probably one of the best um, businesses that we've been working with has been a ready meals company and by really digging deep into their recipes and looking at ingredient alternatives we've been able to really streamline one or two small changes that impacts about 10 to 12 of their product range and when we calculated the, um, the calorie difference per year it was like Brian Cox level numbers it was 100 million calories um, potential reduction um, by by making one change to their recipe, which was just mind blowing that one or two small changes can really have that impact on the dietary health of Scotland. But I think what's important to highlight to um, food businesses is that there's so many different individual um, drivers for businesses wanting to change their product. For some businesses that we're working with, it might be that they're maybe working with a large retailer who's asked them to work towards the calorie and salt reduction targets. So they're, they're reformulating their products to meet that. Um, one of the reformulate fund bakers that we're working with um, actually increased the fibre within some of their product range by 100% because they wanted to work towards the new food and drink in schools regulations. So to ensure that they continue to be listed as a contracted product, they wanted to reformulate to make sure they, they met that. Um, so there's really a wide variety of drivers that are bespoke to each business. And I think the key thing with um, myself and Harriet, who works with the reformulation programme, is to really learn about businesses and find out what their own drivers are and to make sure that we can target the support and guidance we give them to achieve those, those drivers and move their business forward. Thank you, everyone. That's been really interesting just to really take a sort of deep dive into all the great things that have been happening over the last year. Um, I thought it'd be worth just talking about um, what the media coverage has been over the year. Um, obviously, for the last wee while, or quite a wee while, <laughs> COVID and Brexit have dominated the news. With COVID, Moira did mention the hidden heroes. In the early days, it was really good um, that journalists were covering that. They were talking about uh, those working in the industry. They were working really hard to feed the nation. Um, we had a hidden heroes campaign, and we got lots of good examples shared on social media, but on top of that, also some of these were shared in the um, media as well, which was really good to see. And we talked about things like how members um, had uh, changed, had staff change roles um, to work with increased demand. 
um, had donated food to like the NHS and vulnerable people. There was a lot of good stuff there that was good to get coverage on. Um, and then at the end of the year, France had imposed a travel ban. Companies weren't able to get across the border to deliver their products. That was really, really big, horrible news. Huge delays. Um, but then David, he spoke to the BBC um, and he made a comment about it being a black Christmas for many food businesses because uh, then um, perishable um, products were obviously that was it. They were they couldn't be sold anymore, stuff like um, fish and things. Um, and then that just completely went viral, that story. So obviously it was a really bad, horrible time. But I mean, everyone knew about it. Um, my mum even said, oh, oh, look, there's your boss on the, the radio. I saw him. I, I've listened to him. Um, so the fact that, you know, that just that just went completely well, that story, but um, which, which was good to to get the public to understand that a bit more. And it did kind of put pressure on things. So um, more recently, in terms of COVID, it, it kind of the press has been focusing more on the lockdown restrictions as things ease. And they'll be asking different industries, oh, what, what are your thoughts on this? How is that impacting you? So for us, I mean, obviously, as we've mentioned, um, um, a lot of our members supply hospitality. So that's been kind of the one things one thing that we've um, talked about a lot. Um, because if, if you're closing down hospitality or you're restricting their hours, then our companies that are supplying them, that's really, really um, becoming challenging for what they're actually able to supply. Um, and then, well, some of them were able to focus on retail a bit more, but for others, that's their main market. It was just really difficult times. So things like that have been picking up. Um, and then on Brexit, well, for a long time, we didn't have a deal. So a lot of it was about that and the coverage in the press. Um, we were able to talk about that, kind of put a bit of pressure on saying, like, we need a deal. Companies need to know what's going to happen um, so they can actually prepare for this. And um, so that kind of um, that, that kind of dominated a bit. And then the deal obviously came in at the last minute, as David was saying, um, our colleagues interpreted that. And, um, and then we got some good coverage around that as well. Um, these issues are getting a bit quieter now, um, but um, trade deals will obviously always come up. Like the Australian trade deal was, was announced the other day. Um, and then like certain issues like David talked about like on composite products. Um, and then there's um, dealing with Northern Ireland and things like that. But um, in general, things will quieten a bit down. Um, and then that means that other issues are going to be talked about a bit more. So things like diet and health and sustainability issues. Um, which, I mean, when you listen to all the great work that our industry is doing, you know, and from, through Joanne's programme, and then we've got a net zero ambition as well. And there's so much great work companies are doing on that. So it's, it'll kind of be good to kind of move the focus and talk about some of that great work as well. And um, so, yeah, as, 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 all, as always, there's always a lot going on that's picked up in the media. But I think, yeah, things are going to change a bit more as COVID and Brexit hopefully quieten down a bit. Um, and lastly, I, I kind of just wondered, is there anything else anyone wanted to say on um, what's coming up for our industry over the next year? David, Kat, do you have any insights yeah, there? Yeah, I'll pick that up. I mean, Kirsty, what, what you've just said there is a brilliant segue into thinking about the, the future as we've we moved on from uh, you know Black Christmas and 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 and, and uh, COVID flu. Um, we're, we're now in a situation where you know, our objective is to make sure that uh, the food and drink manufacturing industry is appreciated and understood in Scotland. And that's, uh, you know, with the Scottish government, with the Scottish politicians and with the Scottish public and anything we can do to um, try and, and, and drive that and drive greater understanding of the fantastic work that's going on is, is, is really critical. And I think there are, there are probably um, Three or four things that I would highlight, and I'll probably steal everyone else's thunder by doing that. But the um, the first thing, as you said, is around diet, nutrition, and health. Now, there's lots of uh, potential law being put in place in England and Scotland and elsewhere, 
um, and, and some of that is going to have an effect on, on the industry, which we'll have to speak out against. Um, on the other hand, there's fantastic work. I mean, you've, you've just heard, uh, you know, Joanne's stories about, you know, you know, the potential to take hundreds of millions of calories with simple changes out of the Scottish diet. So, so there, 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 there are real strides being made there that, that are fantastic news and, 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 uh, and good to hear. I think the second is around um, the environment and um, net zero. Uh, there's a lot of environmental legislation, both in Scotland and at UK level, which will affect businesses here. Uh, coming down the pipes in the next few years, um, uh, and therefore, you know that that in itself uh, brings an enormous amount of challenges around packaging, plastics, labelling, and and so on. And then you've got the great opportunity that is net zero, um, and net zero is 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 one where Moira's talked about the types of skills uh, that we'll need. Uh, Joanne's work on nutrition will actually have a real impact potentially on net zero as people. Uh, change and look at their recipes to 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 be greener products, um, and for businesses themselves, there's opportunities to reduce waste um, and be resource efficient uh, as we move forward. But that there are big challenges as well uh, in that agenda, um, and it's very clear, I think, that this and the next thing I'm going to talk about are the key agenda items on the Scottish government's future plate. So net zero is all that they want to talk about. I was at the National Economic Forum yesterday, which is when Scottish Government ministers talked to a wide range of businesses. There, there were two things that they wanted to talk about beyond the recovery, and that was, first one was net zero, and the second one, as Kat's already mentioned earlier on, is fair work and uh, you know the just transition element of that as well. So all of that fair work agenda, which Kat might want to say more about, all of that net zero agenda as well as making sure that the industry recovers well and has um, you know, a great future in Scotland. These are the key things that I think we need to be thinking about, worrying about, and advocating on behalf of our members about. Yeah, I'll, I'll add to that, thing. You've nicely segued me in about the fair work stuff. It's having a smile there about Black Christmas, a particularly horrendous horror movie if you've ever seen it. Don't recommend that you do. <laughs> but yeah, looking to the future, um, spent quite a lot of time talking to members about fair work. And I think what struck me, and actually I'm mean, talking about this in the Developing Young Workforce in Friesen Galloway um, YouTube live stream, which you'll be able to go back and watch tonight, um, to think a bit about what exactly is fair work. Um, it, it's a government phrase that they've started using, which is really around five key things. So it's around investing in skills and training your people, which we've talked about. It's um, not using zero-hour contracts, which are not at all widely used in the food and drink manufacturing industry. Um, it's actions to tackle the gender pay gap. And I was reading a report today, actually, from Pinsett Masons, suggesting that manufacturing, not necessarily food and drink manufacturing specifically, but in manufacturing, our gender pay gap is smaller than in other industries, such as construction. So although we've got a way to go and we need a lot more women coming into our industry, um, there's a good story to tell there. Um, it's around workforce engagement, and Moira mentioned about how do you communicate with your staff. I think us who are all office-based, we get so used to thinking, well, you just send an email, don't you? But a lot of the staff working in, in manufacturing won't have a company email address. You know, their, their job is to keep machines going and the, the products coming off the lines. Um, and of course, paying the real living wage. And again, we recently put out a podcast that we did with Rachel Morrison from the, the, the Will Living Wage Foundation talking about paying the real living wage and, and what that looks like. So I think for our industry, there's a story to tell there. I think our industry is on a journey to becoming really quite 
forward thinking in, in terms of fair work and the fair work agenda and the opportunities that it does present, um, I think the opportunities there are a much more productive workforce, a higher skilled workforce and, and a workforce that's really bought into the industry that wants to be part of it to innovate and um, to grow the industry as well. So huge opportunities there. And then, of course, on a personal level, for those of you who know, my background is in, around the environment. So this year, having COP26 coming to my home city in Glasgow, it's going to be a really, really exciting time. And I think certainly all the businesses that I've spoken to within the industry are just really, really looking forward to having some sort of long term, consistent policy that they can get behind and make investment decisions to make sure that we as a nation can reach net zero as, as soon as we possibly can. So um, that's my thoughts for the, the future. I suppose the, the other final thing to say, maybe which is a little bit left, left field, which is there are always things we don't know. Um, I'm sure that all the policymakers, although they have been focused on COVID and Brexit, have not stopped the, the inner cogs churning. What are the little policy surprises that are going to come over the horizon? And at FDF Scotland, we'll be looking very closely to see um, as soon as these things come up that we are, we're consulting with the industry and, and putting our views across. And can I just say, uh, yeah, um, and the, the classic example of things that we don't know is COVID-19. So no, none of us could have picked up any of that. Um, uh, and, and these are the things that we are here for. FDF Scotland is a fantastic insurance policy to make sure you, you're getting the right advice at the right time uh, and, and have uh, the right people to talk to about it. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been fantastic uh, in terms of the engagement, as Moira said, that we've had with businesses. Uh, but we're always looking to improve that. We're always looking to understand better what members want. And, and uh, you know, if you're a member and listening to this, you should make sure that you drop us an email, pick up the phone. Uh, we're always available to have that conversation with you. Um, Kirsty, I think we're coming to the end of our time now. So uh, what I wanted to say, and better not edit this out, is a thank you to you uh, for pulling this all together and, in fact, being, you know, the main uh, coordinator of this podcast over the past year. Um, and a thank you to all my colleagues on this call, and even those who are not, uh, to say uh, thank you so much for the really, really heroic work that you guys have done over the past year. It's been a hell of a year, um, and uh, you know, it just shows what uh, we can do when working as a team and working on behalf of an industry that we all think so very much uh, highly of. So thank you all very much. Thanks, David. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. That was great. Re really good to sort of look back, but also look forward on what's next. So not that we can predict everything as, as we've said, but yeah, thank you all for taking the time to talk to our listeners today. Thanks for listening to this podcast from FDF Scotland. You can find out more about our work. And if you're a food and drink business, how to join us at www.fdfscotland.org.uk. <laughs>